What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the Progression Project podcast. I am your host, Eric Antonson. Today's guest on the show is Cole Kalana. Um, I didn't know who Cole was until Children of the Free World, the Instagram channel, uh, posted a video about pumping, and it was an interview on the beach with Cole, and he was breaking down the dynamics of pumping from a hydrodynamic perspective. And I thought it was fantastic. Turns out that Cole just did his thesis in hydrofoil design uh, in college and is an, uh, he's picked that because he's such a foil-brained uh, fanatic like we are. Uh, and so he has a, has a really cool window into our sport through a technical lens. And so once I saw that interview and then learned a little bit more about Cole, I thought it would be rad to have him on the show. So um Huge thanks to Kavika for doing the uh, beach interview with Cole. Give him a follow at Children of the Free World. And thanks to uh, Cole for coming on the show. I think you guys are going to love this um, podcast. He dives into the difference in training in hydrofoil and foiling versus surfing. Something that I've thought about a good bit. And he monies um, the reason why I think that foil surfing is a little bit more of a trainable uh, sport endeavor. So that's that's pretty dope, and then pretty technical on the physics uh, pumping and and wing uh, strap riding uh, as well. Sorry, strap riding, not winging. Um, before we dive in, I'm testing a whole bunch of stuff right now. Been on the game changer a whole lot, and really starting to get the feel of that foil. It's it's kind of crazy and, and diving back and forth between some of the front foot heavy wings and then the game changer. It's a big difference in feel. So it's taken me some time to bounce between them and to really get the setups dialed. It's, you know, I can get a setup dialed to 85, 90% in a session or two, but to get it that last 10% can take a long time. You know, I've got to, I posted it on Instagram today, actually, but, you know, a whole bunch of different tails and shims and then mass positions. There's so many different variables that, you know, you can get something to feel pretty good, pretty quick, but to get something to feel just perfect can take a long time. And so kind of been going back and forth on a bunch of different gear right now and just really trying to get it dialed every once in a while. I feel like I should just pick something to ride it for a long time, but I love the feels so much. I think it's helping in the long-term progression in the sport, but I think it hurts a lot of sessions. I come in frustrated a lot in the last week, but it's cold and our surf's been kind of bad too. So um, super fired up that Lyft just dropped the new surf series. I'm hoping to have that next week. The mid-aspect surf, if it has the magic of the high aspect, you know, the 170 and can turn like the surf series the classic surf series that's going to be really special and i cannot wait to report on how that feels and hopefully that'll be um next couple podcasts i'll have that insight and nick's going to come back on the show after a couple weeks of riding it so that'll be a fun one too. get some questions ready to uh for nick when he comes back on that was the most listened to podcast of 2020 was uh nick from lyft so all right. Thank you guys for tuning in for the constant uh, feedback on Instagram. I appreciate it. And I'm always happy to answer questions when I have time. If it takes a couple of days, don't get mad. It just means I'm stacked up on other stuff. And that's why it takes some time to get uh, the podcasts out. And the next podcast coming up is with um, 
a great guest. I'm really, really stoked on it. I think you guys are going to be too. I'll leave it as a surprise, but I've recorded it. And um, let me just say it's a, someone who has mastered multiple disciplines at the world champion level um, and now is in foiling. Um, so a Hawaiian uh, just crushing it. So you guys are going to dig that too. Stay tuned. All right. Enjoy. And here is the show with Cole. Cole, thanks for coming on the podcast. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. Super good. Anyone listening, we've got a pretty good delay in our connection today. So I apologize at the beginning here if there's either awkward silences or we're talking at the same time because that's probably going to happen. But um, I'm going to do the show. Um, give us a give us an overview of of who you are and the viral post that um, kind of got you on the show here. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, well, I'm originally from uh, Malibu. Uh, born raised there went to uh, school there and uh went to college at usc studied mechanical engineering um and i i sort of surfed um my whole life growing up but i wouldn't say i was exceptionally good at it um to be honest uh like i'm a fairly like uh healthy generally slightly athletic body type but like i'm not particularly talented at surfing to be honest um but i i'd say that um i really found my groove um once uh in just in the last year when i found foyland um and i i, I can talk about why i think that's sort of more suitable to someone average talent level like me um later but yeah so i, I figured out for um shout out to denny uh barnett uh skyler Lickle and uh Kelson Lau who towed me behind the boat and for like hours before I could finally get up. Um and then I ended up I moved to New Zealand to study abroad and I was able to connect with the ozone guys down there and I ended up buying the Armstrong twelve hundred and the very first uh production board that they ever made. So like the first one that wasn't being ridden by like the the team rider guys killer um and then i was cranking that board in the worst possible spots like going to murawai and piha on like real big dumpy shore break days and just like getting launched like crazy in the air getting super stoked and get a one second ride um and i kind of did that the whole time i was in new zealand um i picked up kiting too and the kiting really helped me sort of figure out how to go longer on the foil and then um came back to malibu and sort of got a, a little better um riding the point breaks here um but i i've been living in uh hawaii on the north shore uh for the last i'd say maybe nine months um and i'd say when i came here i could i could just get a two for one um but a combination of just like the plethora of spots around here and also the like it's kind of the center of the foiling world there's just so many good foilers here um to look up to that all of a sudden i just got way better way faster and now i'm like doing 
towing and downwinds and airs and yeah it's unbelievable like i never thought i'd actually be this good at something but um there's a whole process behind that that i could also talk about let's start there yeah sure um well i think uh, i took to kite surfing pretty quickly and that was back when i was in new zealand and my theory behind that is what i can't overcome with pure athleticism i can kind of overcome with my like sort of more methodical engineering approach um so with, with kite surfing if you have steady winds you have you can dive the kite at any time try one trick you fall you dive the kite again and you have unlimited access to wind basically you know you don't need to scrap for waves which are a limited resource and honestly foiling once you are able to like stand up comfortably and maybe get a two for one it's, it's a very similar thing where where you have um you can both catch a lot of waves and you can chase down the precise type of section that you're looking for to try and move again so whereas surfing is very reactionary you know there's a section and maybe one section the whole day you'll like be able to try to pull in and practice your barrel riding skills foiling if there's like an air section you can do that the same perfect air section 40 times because you can pump around and hunt for that particular section um so and then sort of my my process i'd say is um you know there's all these physical characteristics that everyone always talks about like aspect ratio mass shimming like uh core uh like the, the the what naka foil you end up using and they all sort of foggily relate to the end rider experience like you know what what you feel how hard you turn how hard you can pump um but that that disconnect between the physical characteristics of the foil and what you actually feel on the end you know there's no clear linear relationship between any one physical characteristic they're all inter like dependent upon one another yep. um and it's kind of hard for people learning to foil to understand like oh is my mast in the wrong place should i be shimming this should i be not um so an analogy i like to use is um back when i was uh i used to be a surf instructor i would tell people instead of just pushing them and they'd fall and say like oh you should have been farther back farther forward i i would tell them okay if you're purling that means you're too far forward if you don't catch the wave you paid off the back you're too far back and then before every wave i'd say okay look down and just look at like the sticker on your board and gauge where you are relative to that board and then look behind you on the wave and at first it'll be totally alien to you but at least you know like okay if you purled you're too far forward and you probably need to adjust backwards um and then that sort of lets you teach yourself the correct way to do it and so i sort of like approach foiling in the same way where i'll go into a session and I'll think, okay, I'm only going to focus for these like next two, three sessions on mass position and just play around with it, just move it a quarter inch forward, back. And then I'd say mass position, trying for like pump efficiency. And for three sessions, I'll just only try pumping and only vary the mass and leave everything else the same. 
And then over time, you can slowly build up these correlations between the physical characteristics that everyone's all like freaked out and, and fixated on. Then more realize that it's a combination of all these things, but you'll intuitively be able to build up um, uh, a, a knowledge of where the correct placement would be. Um, and then another important thing is definitely video. Um, like I always try to get as much video as I can. Um, like I'll scroll through Instagram. If there's like a trick or like someone that's pumping really well, I'll screw and record them all, slow them down, edit them all together and just watch micro movements of everyone's like watch one part of their foot at a time and then just watch the whole thing and then watch it again with a different part of their foot and just try to replicate that in the water. Um, and Eventually, if you do that for each little aspect of foiling, someone that's like not naturally athletic can get pretty good at it, I think. I 100% agree with everything you just said there. And it sounds like your process is very similar to the way that I've approached it um, over the last while. Um, incrementally breaking mm -hmm. down video, creating a framework for skills and being able to map um, feelings from foil to foil video is so important for that. Um, and, and creating exactly. an awareness of feel to reality, because I think that's something that in surfing, I coached surfing for a while, um, and trained in, in standup surfing for a long time. And now I've kind of done the same thing in foiling and, uh, in both sports at the beginning, something feels completely different than what it looks like and being able to when you're in the water make adjustments based on what you know the feel actually is what it what it actually is happening in reality not just how it feels and, and like narrowing the gap between perception and reality um and being able to self-coach is i think one of the biggest um, most positive skill sets you can possibly have for learning yeah exactly I'd also add like there's between how it feels when you're doing it and how it actually looks yep. also I'd say like a disconnect between how you would also intuitively think something works. So like you could, if you dive into like the fluid dynamics of it a little bit um, on, on my research project, there's all these things where you're like, okay, on paper, this should like this, let's say you, you make the fuse longer and it should affect the pump cadence in, in this fashion. And then you, you do all the simulations and you're like, yes, it, it does. And then I like go out and then realize that in reality and practice, it's exactly the opposite for some reason. <laughs> and, and then you realize that, okay, well, there's all these other crazy variables that are not accounted for. And in, in real life, like the, the, the knowledge and the science are good like they're they're very useful in communicating like and and comparing different foils across from each other um it it it's they like how it feels and 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 how what works just works sometimes yeah I, you know the thing that i think is very difficult um in shaping boards or in feeling foils it um we are so adaptable to being able to feel and then give different input. Um, it's not as much about the tool. It's the way that you're able to express it. And so I think it's a lot different mm -hmm. than, you know, just something that's mechanical because there's so much fluidity in our ability to change the way we're using 
gear, a foil, a surfboard, whatever it is. Um, and so it's really about what feels best for you. What, what are you riding these days and what are you liking? And um, talk a little bit about your progression through um, foils and boards and all that. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I luckily tend to be pretty talkative in the in the foil line and have a bunch of friends that ride a bunch of different gear. So I'd gotten to ride pretty much the whole Armstrong range, 850, 1050, 12, 1250, like all the way up to the 1850, all those wings. Um, I've tried the Uni 190, the 210. Um, the Kajira 980, Axis 900, 910, um, and then like some of the Blue Planet Easy Foils also. Um, and then my daily driver um, in in most prone conditions is the Lift 170 High Aspect with a 34 tail. Um, and I, I sort of arrived at that one uh, back when I bought it, uh, let's say like three months ago. Um, and that was when I was real stoked on pumping. Yep. Um, so I, I tried them all and to me, that was the best pumping win. And that was like, all I want to do is pump, pump, pump. Um, and it's now a that I'm like, yeah, it's, it's insane. It, it, the first day I got it, I was pumping all wrong. My feet were in the wrong position and I still doubled my two for one record. <laughs> it's, it's insane. What, what um, do you weigh and how tall are you? Everyone's going to ask that for yeah. gear reference. Um, I'm, I'm five, yeah, I'm five, nine, um, and weigh. 150 fluctuate around um and then i i ride uh four two uh firebolt from amundsen um as my main prone board uh and then i uh well i started on that armstrong board i was talking about it was a four six um and then i my next board the first board that i bought um i was actually one of uh about bob Bach in the mainland was one of cory uh colapinto's uh, like uh, tester boards from Freedom Foil Boards. It was a 310 that was back when going super well. Um, 310, I think 27 liters. Um, and then I finally got this one because I wanted to strap in, so it's the 4.2. Um, and then I also ride a 3.6 19 liter um, for towing and kiting. And I've actually paddled that in. Um, a bit when uh, I damage my four two and it act, it goes insane, but I sink to my neck when I'm sitting on it, so it's, <laughs> it's pretty tiring um, paddling in the lineup. Yeah, um, and no leash plug too. Oh, that's rad. Kalama's got a, I think it's a three ten right now that he's been sending me pictures of, and um, I don't know if if I'd be able to paddle that in. I got I paddled in the uh, three eleven Armstrong the other day that Austin Toby and I were grabbing some waves together. And I caught, I caught a couple of waves on the 311, which I was surprised at. I'm, I'm a bit bigger. Um, that's rad. Let's, yeah. let's talk about, uh, all right, let me think about where we want to start here. Let's start with common definitions that people in foiling, myself included, get wrong. Um, maybe you can go through the most egregious mistakes that you're seeing out there. And I'm sure I'll chime in with some questions that I have. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, there's definitely, it's, it's all sort of like vocab, you know, it's like 
one person says, I'm, I was listening to the air chair podcast you did mm-hmm. um, and, and like the T-bar versus all these other parts. I mean, it, it's sort of like, I think the foil community is, has sort of adopted its own, like there's mass fuse, stab, all those things. And enough people are saying them where I think it's all, that's all appropriate to say. Um, one of the bigger ones that you've already addressed was like the ventilation um, versus uh, or like when you breach yeah. um, versus cavitation. Um, let's see. What can, can you can you give definitions there? of both of those just for anyone who who's listening that doesn't understand the difference? Yeah, sure. Um, well, cavitation, it's you can you can get them in like propellers, any any foiled hydrodynamic body. Um, and it's actually one of the interesting physical limitations of foils action. Um, like back when they first came out with foils, um, I think Alexander Graham Bell made the first foiling craft, um, or, or one of the first. And then, and they were, they were hitting maybe, I think it was like 50, I, I want to say it's knots, but it might be miles per hour with propeller driven. And then, um, they had something like pre-World War One. Um, World War II, and they were using props and hitting about 70. Um, and then they noticed that, like, they came out with jets after the Second World War, like, slapped a big jet engine on top of the, the hydrofoiling boat. Uh, and then they powered it on, took off, and realized that they went less than one mile per hour faster with the jet on. Um, so, one, one thing about foils is there's basically foils in, uh, any given medium like uh, like just water there's a a physical limitation around 70 something i I don't remember if it's not your miles per hour and and that's um your cavitation where basically um when when a fluid is going over an aerodynamic body um there the boundary layer sort of will will let's see how do i want to say it basically it 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 separates leaves of vacuum and then these little like little bubbles form because the pressure differential is so great that that uh it's you're basically like almost boiling the water that's that's um, what i was gonna and, ask and, and is it really boiling is, just... is it a, a real boil i think i had read that somewhere where because of the difference in pressure the water boils at a much lower temp and that's where you get the air from is that is that accurate in any way shape or form um, so this is not my specialty and I could be completely off to be honest, but I, I do know, yeah, I, when, when you have these like crazy pressures, um, like, uh, so, so some, uh, something like boiling point can be affected by, uh, first, like the density of the fluid, but also pressure differentials and tempered differentials, which is why you could have like, in a in a extreme pressure scenario you need less temperature in order to achieve a boil so and and basically if you look up like uh pv uh nrt charts you could see there's these like for different fluids there's these wacky properties where you'll have like oh at, at this temperature it's both like a solid a liquid and a gas at the same time if it's just subject to these weird pressures um in the environment uh so i I can't say for sure if it is 
truly boiling or if there's other there's a phenomena another thing about this is there's like for everything hydrofoiling there's you could look at it from a thermodynamic from a hydrodynamic perspective like like let's take lift for example people describe it as um, a pressure differential that causes the lift people say oh it it accelerates the particles over the top surface well i mean each of these descriptions of lift are useful in their certain cases but each also kind of comes with a caveat and there is no um sort of like perfect way to describe it they're just approaching it from different angles um and, and then those different angles have different useful um applications so like uh, most of the ways that people talk about it with fluids accelerating over and it, and it causes pressure differential that's like that's pretty much it um go, go back to the difference between cavitation and ventilation so we we understand cavitation now Okay. Yeah. Um, sorry. It just started raining a lot. I don't know if you could hear that. Yeah. Um, okay. The yeah, audio is still good. You're good. Out there. Um, okay, cool. Yeah. And then, so from, from, uh, uh, and ventilation is, is just when, when, from my understanding is when the wing reaches the surface and then it, it's a similar, it, the effect feels the same. Um, to the rider where then you you breach mediums and all of a sudden you have like an air bubble that's attached to your to your surface and when you no longer have that fluid flowing over the top surface even once you re-enter the water and you have those bubbles hanging on you you lose the pressure differential and, and it causes a catastrophic loss in lift um and that's like when you breach a wingtip and you just like a, a wing that's not particularly good at shutting the bubbles all of a sudden you, you breach a wingtip and you come back in and you think you're fine and all of a sudden the whole wing will just drop out there yeah that has increasingly become pretty much a go no go for me on what foil i'll ride um the, the, the having to mm -hmm. safety surf it just is so limiting that it's tough for me to grab a foil that I know that if I get a tip out, cause I do it a lot in bottom turns, you know, when you're surfing aggressively and you can kind of get away with it at mm -hmm. the lip, but at the, uh, on the bottom, you can't at all, or in a cutback, you can't at all. And I am surprised sometimes when I think about it is which foils are good at, um, being able to, to ventilate and then not lose lift. And my hypothesis currently, and I've talked to Kane about this a lot too, is that foil section is very underrated. I know that the angle at which the tip, tip breaches is important, but I think foil section is mm. incredibly important. And I know that if you look at the Lift 170, that might be the best breaching foil I've felt. I mean, the Kajira is really good. The Game Changer, the Stealth are, are incredibly good as well. Um, can you talk about commonalities between foils in your experience that are able to handle ventilation and why you think that is and how important, um, foil, um, section is in that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, yeah, the lift is really good. It doesn't have any of those wing tips. Um, and 
I, I agree. I think it's pretty much fully because of the section. They have real sharp trailing edges. Yep. Um, pretty sharp. I, like I've I've given myself ten stitches on the lift, um, just from it landing on me. Yeah, seven on on my leg when I was learning how to do flips and didn't know what I was doing, and it ejected away from me and then landed on top of me and then three right above my eye. Um, and it's, it's, I think for, for shedding the water, having it be, have that real thin profile probably helps. Um, it, it's almost like slip more slippery through the water. And I mean, you could, you could feel it in, in the, the higher top speed that that foil has, um, before you, you start getting wonky around like maybe 20 ish miles an hour, it, it can get a little weird or if you're dropping in a little more than that. Um, and then I'd say the only other one where I have like a, a bit of time on would be the Kajira, which I think is real good at shedding water for like entirely different reasons. It's, it's, I don't, I don't know how much it is the tubercle effect or not. Um, because it's like a totally different length scale than than a whale and they're operating in the same medium so i if they the the proportions in that analogy are all right or not um or it could be the wingtips i'm not i'm not quite sure um yeah i i i can i can only really speak for the lift just because it's honestly the only wing i've been using for everything which it is not meant for for sure especially like with the airs and everything I, i'm already on my second one um because my first one cracked after about a month and a half um and i, I have a friend that's on his fourth one um, yeah but they're great wings they just they don't like slapping the water really hard because they're so thin they're super thin um i wonder how much the i'm gonna probably butcher this but the uh, reverse camber has to do with it when you look at the bottom side of the foil um it's a it's a pretty big um concave area going back to that really thin and, and that chair the takuma lol and the kajira also share that kind of really thin trailing edge kind of tapering for like the last half inch almost to nothing um maybe that's a commonality that they have as well but i, I don't know if the Stealth really doesn't. Maybe it stealth has that a little bit too, but that wing breaches incredibly. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't really know because I, I don't. I don't make foils, so I, I, I just ride them. But it, it is interesting that I that they do have that really thin trailing edge because, like in, in general, to have like a, a, a lifting aerodynamic body, it you don't need that really sharp trailing edge i mean if you look at planes i mean they kind of look sharp but if you look at the profiles they're pretty much always rounded um so yeah that, that's interesting but yeah. i i don't really know i wonder if you did some sort of vortex generators if you could lose some cord there but but i like i think i like more surface area just just having more pumpable surface area under my feet i, I like having a little bit of meat. Um, what, what other terms we're kind of getting in the weeds here. What well, other you, terms do you, you see? Were, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I was going to say you, um, weigh like about one ninety. 
Yeah. It was? Okay. Yeah. Because I'm sort of thinking, at least in terms of surface area, the opposite for me. Like, I, I wish there was a, a 150 lift or like a one a 130 honestly sometimes mm-hmm. um I, I think i think it's kind of overrated person like as long as it has, has enough to get up faster um as long as given the engine that you're riding you're able to get it up to speed where it can hit that like that real efficient pump cadence uh, i'd rather go small Yep. I agree. And I ride much smaller foils than I used to. I mean, in a 980, the lift 170, although the lift 170, I find has a pretty high stall speed for me. And so it doesn't affect me when I'm in clean water. What happens is the other day I was doing a shore runner on it and it was a really good one. But when a set would come through and then you get in the turbulence, I just don't have enough surface area to keep going through the turbulence and aerated water after a wave. And so even though I'm still doing a pretty good clip when I enter it, I just, it just dies out pretty quick. Where if I'm on like the Kajira 1210, I have no problem in any turbulence. It's, you know, I can breeze right through it. Um, I don't know if you feel the Mm -hmm. same thing. Oh, yeah, I I definitely, I do. But for for me, the 170s is definitely enough size. I could like go through some, pretty gnarly chop on that but you did remind me one thing that i don't hear people talk about a ton um i mean it, maybe it's related to mass flex i i i don't really i'm not that familiar with how the different mass flex feels because i haven't tried that many masks to be honest and they've all been carbon um but is torsional flex in in the fuse mass connection as as a way of like riding through bumps um because like there's like you would think the stiffness of when you like push down on the wingtip while the board is 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 upside down would would be a good thing in riding but i I think a couple companies designed like for there to be that that give i do chop it 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 will it'll forth to, to go through the bumps and i noticed some in the connection have more and some, it's basically, especially the ones where the wing is just bolted straight onto the onto the fuse. I, I don't think there's as much. So I, that that's kind of an interesting parameter that I don't think a lot of people uh, talk about. Um, I actually think that that's important for more reasons than just pumping and and turbulence. I so someone's going to do this. I'm going to patent this. Don't do this. Um, the other day I took out the <laughs> lift 1210 and it was surfing incredibly yeah, great. 1210? Sorry, not the lift 1210, the Kijira 1210. Um, and it was surfing incredible, yeah. but it was pumping really bad. And I came in and I realized that the bolts connecting the foil to the fuse had loosened up and I had about a, I don't know, a half inch play in the wingtip. So it was a little bit loose and it was, it was crazy because what I realized is that by having that little bit of play, I was able to start the board rolling over, you know, when like the lift 170 is a good example of this is like the high aspect foil tends to want to get stuck in a turn a little bit. And so you kind of have to wait for it to come out of the turn and then roll it over back in to the other turn, comparing it to like, just like a 
surf wing, a small surf wing, which will roll right away. Um, mm-hmm. But it seemed like that little bit of play allowed you to roll it much quicker. And so I didn't have that feeling at all like I was getting stuck. Now it killed the pump. You know, it was just wobbling all over the places I was trying to pump and I, I just lost efficiency. But when I was surfing, mm-hmm. it was the best surf feel that I had had on that foil. And there's something there and I don't know what it is yet, but if there's a way to get something that could give you a little bit of movement when you're riding a wave and then be stiff when you're pumping, I think it would be good. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you broke up a little bit during that, but I, I, I heard most of it. I yeah. think one anecdote uh, I have is, so I, I rode before I was on the lift all the time, I was pretty much exclusively riding the Armstrong 1050. And I, well, one day, came out of the water and completely had sheared a bolt off on, on the fuse to mass connection. And it was stuck in there. It's kind of a headache. I had to like go to a friend that had a workshop and, and like use a reverse threaded bit to, to drill press it out because it was stuck in the fuse. It was a tapped hole. It wasn't a through hole. Um, but I, that was from the torsional flex, I'm pretty sure. Um, I, and, I, and I just hadn't changed out the bolts. Um, so PSA, if you, if you have, uh, something, uh, a wing with a lot of torsional flex, I would change your bolts out every once in a while. Um, that being said, I think that is probably a designed characteristic of the Armstrong. And I think that might be why it's just like, so buttery smooth in turns, um, is because if you notice when, when you push on the wingtip, it really, it has quite a bit of, of, of rotation and built into it. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So what are other terms, terminology that we're messing up? You there, Cole? Um, yeah, I'm there. It's sometimes when it, when it rains hard, the, the power will go out. So you're kind of fading in and out. Uh, I was saying, uh, what are some other I, I ter- really terms that we're, that we're messing up? Um, I think we've got anhedral and dihedral. Um, what, what, are, what are some other ones? Anything else out there you see? Um, not really. Just It would be nice if everything was standardized. Um, Absolutely. Uh, like, I'm thinking particularly like, like when referring to, well, one, referring to like, wings i mean some companies do surface area some do wingspan some like it's just approximate weight you should be to ride it (laughs) um and and if they shared the numbers that would be cool and also i mean it's it's weird because the the stab is oriented upside down so it's also kind of an annoying uh convention that some companies a, a positive shim is a negative shim for other companies um but yeah, I, I think, like I kind of said in the beginning, the the terms everyone kind of uses to refer to foils that everyone's been saying, even if it's not exactly the same as like a, a hydrodynamics professor would say, they're they're not they're not wrong. There there there's a reason why we call them each of those things, and and as long as everyone's using the same words, I think. Then, then they're they're meaningful. 
Right on. Let's talk pumping. That's what got you on the show is I saw the video that you did on, was it Kavika's Instagram? Yeah. Um, yeah. Excellent video. Who, by the way, has like the best stories. Like definitely if you don't follow him, watch him. His Instagram stories are killer. Agreed. Agreed. Um, is, is, what's his Instagram handle? Let's give him a shout out. Is it? Yeah, it's uh, Children of the Free World. That's what I thought. Okay. Um, but break down pumping for us. Let, let's have a, it's a question that I get all the time. Everybody is jonesing for pump content, and we have not done it in a long time. So let's do uh, let's do some time on pumping. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, well, there's a couple ways um, to think about pumping. First, it's it's what do you want to do, and what wings are you on. So there's there's different types of pumping. Um, I'd say the main two are okay. You're learning, and you just want the easiest pump possible. You're gonna want like a, a high surface area wing with real good low end speed, low stall speed, and something that just pumps stupid easy. That being said, that is not what I would call personally the best pump wing. For me, um, a smaller surface area wing with with a real thin profile, higher top speed, that is maybe not as forgiving on the low end. The higher stall speed is quote unquote a better pump wing. And, and what I mean by that is, let's say we'd compare I don't need to use specific coils, but um, so for the lower end end wing, yeah, it's easier to pump, but you won't be able to catch as many waves. And because you aren't able to catch those waves and get rests on them, you in the end have less riding time. So like, for example, um, I used to ride like the Armstrong 1850 and on that wing, I could get maybe a, six for one and it has super good low end performance it's a huge wing um and this is only when it's tiny uh, but then i went to the uh, lift 170 which is way way smaller and all of a sudden i think on my first day i got to an 11 for one and i think my current record is like 35 for one or something ridiculous like that um and i'd say uh so th- those are the two major types of pumping and then how do you pump for a real long time? I, I know everyone has like, use your arms, don't use your arms. You like swing or like, or I like uh, shake the water off your hands. I, I think there's a bunch of different types of pumping and each wing sort of will have its uh, specific, most efficient type of pump. So for a low aspect wing, that'll be, more of a porpoisey motion with with more pitch built into it um whereas for a higher aspect wing it'll be more of those light taps where you're real high up on the mast um and so let's just say um for the lift because that's what i ride there's the general high speed light taps um quicker cadence pump that will be the most um efficient in terms of calories per per distance traveled. But if I'm trying to go for a long distance pump, I won't necessarily just do that pump because it's also um, quite tiring. 
So because there's a, a good range that the lift can use, I can also do like a, a deeper full body pump and swing my arms. I can do that ankle tap pump. And then there's sort of pumps in between where I could use my like thighs or, and, and what I'll, I like to do is isolate each of those body parts. Um, and each of those pumps has a different associated cadence with it because as you use different muscles, you'll ha end up having a different combination of a vertical movement off the water with, with, um, a different amount of force applied to it. So each will have its own like cruising speed that you'll do. And what I'll do is when I kick out, I'll slowly shift between these different pumps doing like the quick tap if I'm cruising. And then as soon as I start to feel it in, in my thighs, then I'll, I'll shift over to a different type, type of pump and, and slowly fade between those. Um, and, and that's how you can go way, way out the back. And then maybe at the end I'll be the most tired and be doing the, the lowest cadence pump. And then when the wave is coming, I'll do two or three quick full body, like with the arm swing pumps to get back up to speed and get a nice connection turn. Um, but it's sort of isolating all those different modes of, of pumping and then being able to fade in between them smoothly is, is how I get the longest rides. Yeah. I, I agree with everything you said there. I, it's interesting because your framework is about longest ride. I'm generally interested in speed. And so when I think about how I'm approaching, mm -hmm. I also have a lot of different pumps that I use and I, I surf a lot of different foils and they all require different nuances in the pump. Some are similar to others, you know, like Kajira 170 tend to share a lot of same characteristics. You go to like the stealth 200, it's incredibly different. Um, game changer is different as mm -hmm. well. Those feel kind of more like the unifoil 190 type pumps, but in mm -hmm. broad terms, I find that when I exit a wave, my first goal is to get up to speed and usually cause I'm surfing probably much smaller surf than you're in less energy. So generally I'm pumping sometimes faster, um, than I'm riding on a wave, uh, for efficient pumps. And so mm -hmm. right when I'll kick out, generally it's a couple hard pumps to get up to speed and to get up high on the mast. I think that's so important to stay incredibly high, but then I'll go into more, the more mm -hmm. efficient pump, which is usually, you know, the kind of the, the tap pumping, um, pretty, pretty efficient, low maintenance. As long as you're staying high, you keep your speed up. But then as I approach a connection turn, I go back to more of an acceleration type pump a little bit before the connection mm -hmm. to, to get going, um, as fast as I can. Um, and the difference, you know, one thing I've, I've been helping a lot of guys here in Florida get better over the last few months. And something I have found is that and, and this would be something interesting to talk about. I think that folks who have spent time on high aspect tend to be, and maybe it's because of, I don't know if it's chicken or the egg. I don't know if it's because once you learn to pump on high aspect, you're up pumping and you're riding waves more. And so you, you, you get to learn different styles of pump through that foil. And it's maybe because of the time, or maybe it's because the high aspect, the wing itself is teaching you where to find those pumps. But I find that if you want to be a good pumper, I think spending time on high aspect 
is a really good thing to do, even if your plan is to just basically be on surf wings most of the time, because it seems like it's the easiest way to learn the differences and the nuance. Um, and then you can take that back into the to the surf wings. I think folks, when they start on surf wings, it's usually a pretty energetic, especially smaller foils, energetic, like lots of porpoising, as you called it, to keep the speed needed. Mm -hmm. But once you learn the other styles of pump, you can bring that back to the surf wing. Has, has, do you feel the same way? Yeah, definitely. I, I'd say um, it's 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 a combination of all those things you said. I mean, just getting time up and pumping is obviously the best way to improve pumping. Um, also, I think the surf wings they tend to be um, because that that speed range where they're still efficient pumping is is a lot easier to lose because they glide for a lot less. Um, it's a lot more technical. Yeah. So what a lot of what will happen where I have friends that ride surf wings is they're trying to learn to pump. Um, but let's say they have something like the mast is, is like half an inch too far back. So when they're taking off they're they're instantly like wasting all their energy, moving the front of the board up and down. Well, if you're on a higher aspect wing and you exit and you have speed and you're already gliding, even if you're wasting a bunch of energy on that, that, that rotational motion, um, like torquing your board instead of, instead of pumping it forward, you still have time where you're gliding and, and where you could get a feel for it. Um, so I, I would definitely agree with that. And then if I were to break down sort of more the mechanics of pumping itself, um, you know, it's kind of hard because everyone has their different style. Some people do the aggressive, um, like knees all the way up to the chest, full body pump. Some people like the real, um, like stand tall, quick taps pump and everyone's on different equipment. I would say try to find, um, sort of like what we were talking about earlier, or like the analogy of like find that sticker on your surfboard where you can, you have some metrics that you could, um, chart. And then get video and just watch yourself. Yeah. Um, because like a, a lot of when when my friend asks, oh, how do I pumping? They could talk to me about it forever, and I could just rattle off all these different ways that I've sort of learned to pump on my own. But if they show me a video, I can pretty much instantly say like, you're you got to move your mast like this much farther forward, or you got to shim the tail, or, or this is the problem. And and that's just because I. So brute force put in enough time varying those little aspects of foil. So I, I'd say if you really want to learn to pump, first start with it farther back and, and just be able to ride waves consistently. Um, and then you're going to slowly, in not even quarter of an inch, like eighth of an inch steps, move the foil forward. Um, and and uh, uh, well, you could also start with that whole balancing thing that um you've talked about with kane that yeah, I, I don't kane's trick. probably need to say again but I, I do the same thing so yeah i'll break um, it down so, real quick so just you, in case someone didn't hear that um yeah the, the balancing trick is put your foil on your board um laying down foil up grab the it's the center of lift of your leading foil which is generally the thickest part so it's going to be about a third of the way um from the leading edge towards the cord. So pretty close to the, to the leading edge and hold your board up 
um, from that point and see where it balances. And a good starting place is your board balanced at that spot. Now, I ride all of mine incredibly tail heavy um, now, but that's a great place to start to get a feel for um, for for where a good a good um, mass position is. Yeah, and, and it's also up to preference. People have different stances. I I tend to ride very narrow. Um, and, and and basically, what you're doing when you're you're holding from the the center of pressure, and you're balancing it, is what you're doing is you're aligning. Um, if you could visualize the wing and assume that it's it's um, symmetric about the plane of the of the um, lift, you could say acts as a completely vertical component parallel with the mass acting upwards. So, or, or in this case, downwards, I guess, as you're holding it. Um, and then there's a center of gravity of the entire foil board system. So when you when you mount the mast, um, the, the the foil onto the board, somewhere gravity a centroid about which um, you want the lift to act more or less directly through. And it's the same as if you're like on a teeter totter or you're like um, balancing a, a plank of wood on a rock. Um, if, if you have the lift acting um, farther away from the centroid, it'll have more um, of, of a moment, a levering action about it. Whereas if it's directly lined up, it you won't have any. So that, and the way that feels is if you have your back to that and the centroid of the system, um, one, you probably won't be able to catch waves. Um, but but to once you get up, you'll you'll have that big porpoising motion, and, and that's because the lift is acting too far back. You have too much swing weight, um, is is how people call it. And and when you're pumping, and you look at video, you'll see the tip of your board is a lot, um, and you don't really want that. Yes, you can still get your board to go, and if especially if you shift your weight backward. What you're in effect doing is is counteracting the 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 moment of the lift with your body weight, um, but you're just wasting unnecessary energy, constantly counteracting that moment as you're riding. Whereas, and then on the opposite side, if if the lift is acting too far forward, that's when you're taking off and you're just breaching out of the water, or when you're riding the wave and your front foot is just getting super super sore. Um, a, a lot of people say, oh, foiling, you know, it's super, super front footed. Um, and of course, it depends on the wing and everything. But when I'm, let's say, doing something that's really pumped, like if I'm doing a downwinder, I'd say I pretty much have 50-50 weight on, on both feet. Um, and, and that's because, like, if you have any, uh, and it's personal preference, but if you have, like, 60-40, after a while, that one foot's going to get overworked and it's going to be super tired. So if you watch the video um, and you um, have a lot of tip displacement, it's too far back. If you're foiling and you're able to get pumps, but your front foot is getting really tired, or if your stance is, is cantilevered too far to one side or the other and you're, and you're constantly working to overcome the lift, then it's too far forward. Um, and by watching the video, you can kind of in your head um, uh, find your own personal preference that matches 
your stance and your riding style. Um, but in general, you're going to be pushing it forward from where you start. Yeah. You know, what's funny is that I have never been able to get a setup that has been equally balanced front and back foot. I am always back foot tired, uh, back leg tired. And if I go too yeah. much farther forward from where I'm at, um, I get speed wobbles. The board gets all squirrely all over the place on me. It seems like, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't, I don't know. And it doesn't matter what board I'm riding. It doesn't matter what wing I'm riding. You know, I ride the lift 170 all the way up in the box. And that thing is incredibly forward pitched Same. to me. Um, but maybe it's a personal thing. Yeah. It's, I, I was talking with, with some other friends about like my, my board, um, I got custom with the boxes moved forward, I think like a quarter of an inch and I'm still there. It's slammed all the way to the front and I wish I could push it up more. Yep. Um, maybe, maybe, um, I, I like, I don't play around with shimming too much, but I, I like a fairly neutral stab. That's just sort of gets out of the way and is fast. It's not the best for turning. Um, but there's that because there's less downforce would probably mean, um, that there's, less of a, a, a weight imbalance across your feet um so i i feel pretty centered when i'm riding the lift mm -hmm. um uh, what what tail do you use on it um either the 25 or the 34 i tend to like the 20 okay. the 25 actually feels more balanced to me than the 34 the 34 is really pitchy forward for me especially in yeah, turns definitely. um and that's the limiting yeah. factor in me yeah, wanting to surf to that foil more is that it's, it ends up, I, unless I'm just kind of downwinding, um, or, or just going for distance when I surf, my back leg gets burned out like crazy. And, um, mm -hmm. I'm about to take a tail, a lift tail and just add some bolt in, inserts so I can just start putting other tails on it and shimming it. I know if I could put a degree shim on it or a degree and a half, it would balance it out. Um, I'd lose some pump, but it'd be worth it. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I don't even really use the 25 anymore. Um, the 34, I mean, it's the 25 is definitely noticeably faster mm -hmm. um, and, and more well balanced. Um, I, I used to use it pretty much. I w was riding it all the time and then I moved to just doing it for downwinders. Um, but it, honestly the 34 is, is fast enough and um, I find that if I'm making a steep drop on the 25, um, because it's of the difference in sensitivity, I'm, I have to actively move my feet on, on the board and widen the stands when I'm taking a drop on that. Um, and then when I exit, it takes you know, a moment to get back into my pump stance, my more, more narrow stance. Mm -hmm. And that's like the, the most likely time to fall on the downwinder for me. Whereas the 34, it's, it's slower and maybe I won't be able to catch as small of a bump. Um, but the added, uh, balance and, and that front foot pressure, I, I can basically leave my leg, my legs locked in the pump position the whole time and still get some like nice turns if, if, a if a downwind wave comes right on, let's, let's talk about downwinding. That's something that, you know, here we get the shore runners. And so I've been doing a lot of those, um, for the last year, but we just had a week where we had really strong side shore winds. And it's the first time that I've really been able to have a bump to play with. And it's kind of blowing my mind, you know, getting 
really long mile mm-hmm. to mile flights. Um, um, and not necessarily just, you know, most of the time we're in the surf the whole time, right? Like going from set to set, but riding the yeah. surf and this was different and we were out back, I was riding bumps and, um, give me some tips, man. What can I learn? How insane is that one thing? It's really fun. It's really <laughs> it's, fun. It's so fun. In the fall though, I, I fell a few times, yeah. you know, <laughs> way out the back and then doing the paddle of shame back in to catch your next bump. That's no fun. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm by no when, by no means a downwind expert. I've I've only been doing it, um, I'd say like maybe two months. Um, and also, by the way, shout out uh, Mahea because she is my uh, uh, my Uber driver when I finish the the downwind. She'll she'll take me back up to the top. Um, we we don't have those killer conditions that they have at the gorge or um, on some different islands where you got those like big open ocean waves where you're 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 doing full-on proper like wave riding um one thing i'd say uh for tips downwinding is you should you definitely need to be able to do like at least a three for one i'd say um uh if either be able to do like three three for ones in a row or like catch a five for one um and that's basically just insurance um like so a lot of guys here are, are real good at downwinding because they grew up um, like uh, paddling, canoe paddling, and and or doing downwinds on sups, um, which I have no background in. Um, and it's it's a lot of reading the waves, which is the part that you learn to make downwinding easier. So I, because I was so pump obsessed for so long, was able to the first three runs just brute force my way downwind basically. I, I would get out there and just pump like crazy, uh, fall like half mile out to sea, do the crazy paddle back in, um, and do it again and just force my way down wind. So the better at pumping you are, the, the easier it'll be. Um, but honestly, these days I I'll do one or two quick taps if I'm, if I'm need to, but it's pretty much all just turning and reading the waves. Um, so what what you need is you want to run that isn't super committing, meaning that you could paddle in at any point. Um, and you want winds, of course, it depends on like how deep the water is, but like around here um, or in town, it, it's about 15 knots is a magic number. And you want it to be sustained for a while. So if it just whips up to 20 knots and it's gusting 25, you'll have really blown out conditions and you sort of want, would prefer maybe like a 16, 17, but that's blowing the whole day. And what will happen is you'll, it'll kind of groom itself out and then you'll get these nice lines um, that'll be running ideally side shore or side onshore. Um, and then you also want to check what the ground swell is doing. So the ground swell will be working um, more or less like perpendicular to the wind swell. Um, and then what you're doing when, once you get out there, once you catch your chip in and you, and you pump out is you're alternating between the wind swell and ground swell. Um, so ground swell will come periodically in sets like normal waves and the wind swell will be more or less constant. Um, and so in, in the most popular run, uh, everyone sort of does, um, the wind swell, you'll you'll ride it and be slowly working your way um downwind going left and the ground swell will be right 
Um, so what you do is you, after you catch it and you're on the wind swell, you want to kick out with as much speed as possible. So basically, as soon as you take the drop, you kick out instantly. Don't milk it at all. It's it's almost like relearning how to pump for the first time again. You know, when you're you're so stoked on riding the wave that you want to ride it all the way to the end, and then you realize that you've passed the wave, you're in the trough, and you're hitting the back of the wave in front of you, and all of a sudden it'll drop out of nowhere. So you want to kick out at the top of your uh, at top speed, and then almost turn like they're moguls if you're snowboarding or skiing. Um, you know how you, you you would think that you're turning in the troughs. Um, this is the skiing I'm talking about, but mm -hmm. you're actually turning off the top of the bumps. It's it's the same thing in downwinding, where you're constantly turning off the top of the bumps um, when you're riding the wind swell. And then if you if you want or if you get gassed um, and a set comes, then you can turn to the right and catch the ground swell. And then at, at that point, the wind will kind of be coming um, at a 45 degree angle to your side. And what you do is you kind of just get low and do little tap pumps. And that'll just help you cut through the wind and you can ride the ground swell. And that's a, a lot more relaxing. And, and, but the problem is you'll, you won't be making any downwind progress. You'll be going straight to shore. Um, and also if the wind line tends to be farther out, you'll be working away from it. So it's a balancing act of constantly switching between the wind and the ground swell. And, and you're basically just dancing down, down the coast. And, and once you get better, better than I am, that's when those guys just look like they're just having the time of their lives doing crazy turns and everything. What they're really doing is they're, they're bouncing between these different swells um, and accelerating forward just using turns instead of pumps. Um, that's the, the overview, I'd say, of, of how to downwind. Um, and, and you don't need to be like crazy, uh, a crazy pumper by any means. Um, if you have a spot where you could, there's plenty of chip-ins down the, down the way, I'd say just go for it. I mean, go, go with other people. Um, I, I have a waterproof case and I used to carry my phone with me. So if I like need a pickup halfway or if there was an emergency or something, I could, I could call someone. Um, but yeah, just like send it with the friend. And I mean, worst comes to worst, you just, you're just sitting and the wind will push you down eventually anyway. That's epic. Um, I, I have an Apple watch with a SIM card and I think that it's the best investment mm -hmm. I've made for water safety. I use it constantly pickups or if anything bad happens, you, you've got a phone on your arm that's waterproof. Um, it's pretty epic. But, um, you know, it, the, the other day for the first time I had found when I was doing one of these where it was almost like oh, you, were, you just cut out for a while. Oh, sorry. I was just saying, um, Apple watch. It's the best hack. Okay. Yeah. Waterproof phone on your arm. Uh -huh. Um, but doing them the other day for the first time I found seams that I could basically just glide. I, I, once I found the right seam, it would seem to link up to a set coming way down the beach, but I would be foiling offshore. I'd be going out to sea on the seam and then connect you know, form a wedge when it would hit the set, I would connect on that, then ride inshore until I saw the next seam. I'd kick out in the next seam and I was just basically zigzagging in and out um, with very little pumping. I mean, when I do a, you know, two minute surf run and I'm wearing my watch, my heart rate, I'm usually at about 170 when I finish. And I did, um, the longest run I have on my watch was like 1.6 miles 
and my my heart rate was 119. You know, it was like I couldn't believe how efficient. Once mm-hmm. I found the energy, I couldn't believe how efficient. You know, seven minutes of flying in a 119 heart rate is the the high. That, like it blew my mind. Yeah, that's that's what's so addicting about it, and I I think uh, if I I know you like talk uh, you talk about like flow states and everything. Um, I I think that in terms of boiling is is uh the closest i currently get to just being in that constant state of of flow and 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 intense concentration i'd say in the beginning when i would go out and every day like in the surf learn something new then that was where like that was what was fueling the addiction like the constant improvement but then as i get better and distance between these new breakthrough moments is widens in the surf um in downwinding, I feel like it, it's it's a combination of like that constant, um, quote unquote, risk. It, it's mm-hmm. it's you're not pushing yourself in big waves, but the risk is just being super annoyed and having to paddle in really far. But that that risk, like height, heightens the 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 feeling where all of a sudden these like one two foot little chop, you you have the concentration as if you're dropping in on. A massive double overhead wave and and it's just constant you you it's it's more mentally tiring than physically honestly like if i ever fall it's because i'll, I'll look up and be like oh look a rainbow or something and then <laughs> boom i'll eat it <laughs> yeah so that that's it definitely is is one of my favorite feelings foiling it's just pure it's, it's 10 minutes of that you, you don't think of anything else you're totally in the moment and you you it really forces you to be in the moment there's there's no other way of 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 doing it you can't really unless you're a monster you can't can't really play around and just and do whatever you want you're always focusing um are are you winging it all um no i'm not i i kite foil a bit um i never i i never really learned how to go switch on the foil so i'm like I, i'm stuck doing the um the toe side riding on my little uh plate uh little like cafeteria tray board um but those are two things that i still have yet to do foiling and want to do um winging and i also want to try uh, some race foils um, but I, I got to learn how to ride switch first. Um, but the winging, I, I tried a couple times, and then and then once I figured out how to do the prone downers, um, the interest sort of left for me, um, just because that became my go-to windy day activity. There's still uh, between like eight and fifteen knots, um, a period where it's kind of too annoying to go prone prone uh foiling but not enough wind to go downwinding um and i think once i dial in the downwind more then maybe i'll i'll finally pump up my kite again or or take up the wing because i think that that 12 to 15 ish range when it's not enough to downwind is is prime territory for that yeah i'm learning it now and 
the reason is because the way our coastline works, it's pretty hard to do real downwinders. Um, it's a flat coast. And so you can't mm-hmm. really, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of strange. It's usually the surf's kind of big if it's blowing and it's hard to get out and chip in and get out the back. And then you're pumping into the wind to get out. Um, I think the wing is going to be a huge hack for being able to get offshore and do real downwinders. And so Pedigo and I are mm-hmm. trying to take it on right now so that hopefully in the next couple of months, we're good enough to be able to, when we get some of these kind of better wind days, get pretty far offshore and then do some real downwinding with the wing. It's the goal anyways. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. It looks, it looks so fun. I have a, a lot of friends that do it. And, and I think it, it just makes it more playful too, without, without the consequences of, of having to do that long paddle back in, you, you could really crank it harder, go for bigger turns, let alone like all the airs that, that the wing lets you do eventually. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be epic. Um, let's see here. There's gotta be some other stuff that, um, what else do you have on your list? Oh uh, yeah. Well, one thing um, is just the whole community around foiling is amazing. Um, I mean, I I have friends that are seven and friends that are like sixty now foiling, and I just constantly text them, like meet up. It's and it's it's awesome. Like you'll you'll go foiling one spot, um, and then the next day you'll go on the other side of the island and you'll see the same exact faces. Um, and, and that's also what's just so appealing about the sport to me. Um, and I, another shout out to the Los Angeles foil club. Um, I, I, when I was first learning to foil, um, there was about five guys that I met just out one day and we just started a group chat. Um, and it was a text thread. And then it became six and seven and 10. And then the phone was just blowing up nonstop and it was so annoying. So we, we, we moved it to a, a WhatsApp group, <laughs> a WhatsApp group. And now there's, I think like 120 or 130 guys on it. Um, just the most stoked group of foilers ever, probably like average age, maybe mid forties. Um, and like, uh, it's, it's just, so cool like you you you, luckily you can mute the notifications now um so your your phone isn't blowing up but every day you go and there's 50 conversation posts and everyone is completely foil brand and just it's it's a super positive community but i i also think this is like a really good tool um for self-regulation of the sport and i think uh it's a might be a good idea for other places that are maybe like slightly behind in like in terms of how uh, prevalent foiling is uh, relative to LA to like uh, make these group chats or, or Facebook groups or, or whatever it may be. Um, just because like it's it's all positive vibes in the group chat, but like if something happens or if someone is like in the wrong spot, it's it's a resource but also a place where where we can say hey like just for the sake of all foilers we we don't go to the spot when it's crowded or like if someone sees someone like paddling out without a leash it's it's not it's not uh it's okay to like say hey you got to wear a leash um and i think it's just it's just a good thing for the sport in general 
um, one, for everyone to know each other and have good times and, and build up on each other, but also to make sure that foiling still still allowed and, and, and safe everywhere. Yeah, we, we've got one for Jacksonville and I'm in another group with all my buddies down in Costa Rica who have started foiling where I used to live. Um, it's just fun. Yeah. It's good fun. So good. Um, yeah. And I'd also say a, a great thing is all of a sudden it went from, um, well, so my mom started surfing when she turned 50. Um, and, uh, like if, if we would ever go on a surf trip or something, we'd be at completely different spots. And now all of a sudden, um, if I want to go surfing and, and my dad boils now too, um, and, and, and my sister surfs too, we'll, we'll all be at the same spot. Um, like, and that's just such an awesome feeling and, and such a special thing to get to boil with both like my parents at the same time and be in the same spot. Everyone's like having a great time. I think that's also kind of what's magical about foiling, um, is it makes bad ways awesome. I mean, I, that's kind of, everyone says that, but it's, it's so true. I couldn't agree more. And it takes away the scarcity. You know, we'll have, you know, six guys out back foiling on a small day when there's not much coming through. And, you know, if you were surfing and the one wave came through and, and someone dropped in, you'd be so mad and we'll all take off on the same wave and all be pumping around and it's just good vibes the whole time. You know, I love that. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think it's, it'll be cool. I think Oahu's kind of ahead, ahead of the curve in terms of the maturity of foiling to most places but i mean now there's there's i mean i one guy kingston the hammer seven years old killing it on the foil but i mean there's a whole group of like 12 15 year olds and guys all the way up in their 60s foiling now and i think um uh, most places i think it starts with like the 30 40 year old guys but pretty soon um it, it'll it'll be everyone boiling in most places um and it's just just good vibes all around uh yeah I, i'm just so happy that this is a thing that 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 works that somehow you're able to float over the water and 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 ride these little waves it's it is a miracle to me it's the best thing to happen in a long time i feel like for water sports i mean i grew up in florida and then i moved to costa rica and having to move back after 11 years of surfing Pacific, you know, energy, it was really hard. And, and foiling is just, I don't even want to go on surf trips anymore. You know, it's like, it doesn't matter if it's head high out back and perfect, or if it's a foot and a half and blown out, it's not like I'm going to have that much more fun with it being head high and perfect. It's just unreal. Yeah. It's unreal. Well, cool. Yeah, totally. Um, this has been epic, Cole. I appreciate you coming on and it'd be great for you to come back again in a few months or something like that. Um, after some new insights or yeah, for sure. Whatever. Yeah. I'm looking at my list now. I realized I didn't talk about straps at all, but Let's do I it. guess I, I, we'll save that. I, I got, I got a couple more minutes if you want oh, to, if you want to dive into it for sure. Okay. Pa Paul Cooper just hooked me up oh, with sure. beautiful straps and I'm trying to get a board dialed in. So I need to learn at some point. Yeah, I was I was so bummed. I was using the Armstrong straps for so long, and then um, 
I, I ordered the the kind tyrants, which is what a lot of guys use, like five days before Paul released his straps. <laughs> um, but I, I'd say uh, like this whole back foot, front foot thing. Um, I, I don't, I'm not that great at straps where I ha- I can talk as in depth as pumping. But for me personally, um, what I, I sort of, I have the back foot strap and then the front foot strap um, tinted. And one, one technique that I have that I haven't heard anyone say before is if you're taking off on a bigger wave, what I'll do is I'll, I'll paddle and then sort of do that, that yoga pose and, and get the back foot into the strap. And then as you're dropping in, what I do is um, I, I'm, I'm regular footed. So my, my, my right foot will be in the strap. I'll shift um, the board so that it, to the right of my body as I'm lying down. And then I'll kick out my front foot, my left foot, and drag it like an oar in the water. Um, and, and I do this a lot if I'm like in white water or if I'm dropping down the face and it's really steep, um, just to slow myself down and stop um, the wing from lifting. And that gives me like basically as long as I want to focus on getting into the straps. So um, this is what I did before I could get both feet in really quickly and just and pop up. And then what you do is once you're stable out of the white water and out in front, then you, as you lift your front foot out of the water, you'll speed up again. And then as you speed up, you'll feel that lift engage. And the second the lift engages, then I put more pressure on my front hand, dip the nose down. And then that gives me the time to get the front foot in and, and the front foot's a lot easier once you, once you stand up. Um, but I'd say that's the one uh, strap hack that I have that made it a lot easier. It just, it just gives you more time so, um, and, and you, you need a wave that has enough punch behind it. When you're doing that, are you already on foil while you're dragging your foot or are you keeping the board in the water at that point? Um, so I'm, I'm, keeping dragging my foot um front foot in the water to slow myself down yep um and if it's a real big wave i'm also putting a lot of pressure on my hands um to to force the board to plane so so you're not on foil um, because yet. as soon as you're up in the air then yeah no no yeah because as soon as you're up in the air it, you have all the degrees of freedom to go wrong oh yeah but when you force the board down and you're planing, um, but if, if you use your other foot, you could kind of steer the board and ride out to the white water and then take your time when you get back up. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I, I would learn, I, I learned straps and kind of bigger circuit. I'd say it was like about shoulder, like shoulder to slightly overhead. Um, and what I would do is I just take off in the white water um, on the inside because it was too big for me to take off on the face and I was too slow to pop up. Um, and then punch out through the white water, get it on plane, and then get both feet in, and the board would still be planing. And then when you have, once you have the straps, you, you're able to torque the board up. So even if you're going lower speed than you would to get it on plane, you, you could do like a little ollie and, and that will get you mast height. And then once you're up there, then you could do throw in a couple pumps and all of a sudden you'll, you'll be at speed. Um, that helped a lot. Um, where I, I was at first just trying to go in and constantly just missing the feet, um, standing up on top of the straps and falling. Um, when I did that technique, I basically got the straps every time. Um, and then you just sort of, you develop a muscle memory of, of where the straps are. And then eventually you could just pop up normally and, and just get your feet in every time. 
That's a good tip. Um, the other day, <laughs> I took off on a late one. It wasn't big. It was like maybe rib high, but I took off on one super late. And I did that to where I got my back foot on and then I got early lift and I was kind of in this weird transition period. So I kept my front foot off and I was dragging it, but I was already up on foil. I was about a foot up. And so I got to the bottom of the wave and right as I was going to pop up, I'm still on foil. My front hand slipped off and the board shot up and caught me right in the left nut. It was, it was no good, man. It was like, it was a glancing blow, but I just laid there in the water for like two minutes. My board just floated away from me. I was like, this sucks. It was like that wave that you're like, I shouldn't even go on this, but I'll just go. It's not a good thing on foil. Generally, if you think you shouldn't go, you shouldn't go. Yeah. Yeah, definitely the straps. I I learned the hard way. Lots of of falling out. It, you never want one foot in. That's how you get twisted. Two feet in is, is really safe. Um, I I think. Uh, and it's also um, I think it, it, I kited before, so that that kind of helped a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, oh, one other tip I'd have is if you when you do go for airs, um, uh what I kind of do is because so I'm regular foot and the front foot strap is, is, um, oriented, uh, uh, at a tilt. When I take off, I'll bend my, uh, right, uh, my, my left foot, big toe inwards, um, to, to cross the, the foot strap. Um, so you so can't pop as out. I'm taking off, I'm, I'm pinching. So I don't pop out. Yeah. Um, and, so the, the older straps, the Armstrongs I was using, super comfortable, um, but they they almost had a little bit too much flex for, for my preference, where I'd say about once a session, I just have like a catastrophic eject where I just like be three feet above the foil and just falling on top of it. Just like I, I see disaster incoming, but there's nothing I could do. Um, that and, and I'd say, uh, well, actually, now that I think about it, I have a lot about, about um, uh, straps, but I'd say also in, when you go for flips, um, there's one, anyone can do a flip, honestly. You, it, it's it's just commitment is the biggest thing. And this when you don't commit, that's when you hurt yourself. Um, and I think a lot of guys, including myself, I'd say nine times out of 10, I'm not really doing a flip. I'm doing like a round off. Um, where, where I'm bending at the waist and I was like posting these surfline clips and then a friend that's a really good skier that like hucks these crazy backflips. Um, we, we talked for a bit and it's, it's as, as you're taking off, um, you, you kind of need to arch your back and you need an appropriate sized wave. So if you, you'll instinctually feel it bending at the waist is you're just like decreasing your moment of inertia. So you spin faster, so you clear and clear it and land on your feet again. So you want the wave to be steep enough and have enough energy where when you hit it, you'll you'll hear this like little like shunk sound. That's that's the foil like almost getting sucked up. And you'll feel it'll launch you really high. Um, and it should be very relaxed and relatively slow rotation. Um, to do like a proper full arch back flip. Um, but that being said, like there is no right or wrong way to flip. I mean, you could like B 
be crouched down and doing a crazy grab or something. And that's really cool too. Um, but it's, it's all just about committing and, and waiting for the right time. I'd say never force the flip. If you force it, that's how you hurt yourself. Are you doing them as you're pumping back out mostly? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've tried some going in and I'm just not going fast enough, um, on, on prone waves. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I'd say there's, there's two ways of getting, of getting off. You can either wait for a section and the section will age you. Um, and, and what helps with that is you're basically, you're not doing a full 360 because there's a slope up and a slope down. Um, and same thing for straight airs. You could, you could use the wave as your guide, or if you're going fast enough, you, you, it's almost more like, like with the air chair, you're, you're bending down the second before you, you pop and you're using speed to then lever yourself up. Um, you, you never really use any, like you're not jumping at all. It's all just leverage. Mm -hmm. Visualizing that right now, I'm thinking about it in context of what Ben Fernie was talking about in regards to leaning forward into the jump to get the maximum amount of spring to really do an air. Um, I learned so much from that podcast. Yeah, that was a totally. good one. It, yeah, I, I almost feel like it's like I'm on a skateboard or something and there's a bank coming or, or like a surfboard. And, you know, you do those little like the little the little hops to like get ready for it. it it's a similar feeling where you're you're doing a little a little twitchy, getting the feel for the, the foil. And then last second, you do one big pull back so that you have more momentum going forward rather than starting from your steady state, which would just be going forward. Gotcha. Gotcha. Right on. What do you want to leave folks with Cole? Um, I, I'm, I was surprised and humbled uh, that you reached out. Like I'm just a normal, a normal everyday foiler. I'd say, um, I, I actually, because I, I listened to your podcast a lot when I was learning. I, I don't know if I'm the first one, but I'd say I, I started after this po podcast started, um, started foiling and it was a huge tool for me in the beginning. Cool. Thank you. So to come on now and talk is, is pretty surreal. Yeah, <laughs> that's rad. It's rad. It's such a good group of people, man. It's been such a cool thing. This is the second podcast I've done and I don't really ever talk about this on the show, but the coolest thing about doing the other one was in stand up paddle surfing when I did the same thing with, I wanted to get good and there wasn't a lot of information out there. And so I figured you talk to the best people and you get to hack the growth curve and then other people get to listen and they get to do it at the same time. And it's pretty cool because everybody wins. Um, and that was always uh -huh. the objective. But what I didn't realize is that by doing a podcast, this is a thought for anybody out there who has an idea or is passionate about something, somehow it allows you to connect with people and draws in people that have a lot of commonality. And so you end up getting this like really cool, spread out, diverse friend group through doing it. Um, and it's really dope. So I don't know, it just stokes me out when people like it and they listen to it and it's rad. So thanks, man. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. 
All right, Cole. Well, let's do this again in a few months. And uh, thanks so much for spending an hour and a half with us. Oh, wow. That went by like like nothing. Cool. <laughs> and I'm only cutting us short because the bar's <laughs> breaking out back and I only got an hour and a half to, to foil before dark. Sick. Yeah, go get it.